0: Good evening. Uh, thank you guys for coming. Two weeks ago, at a time when our podcast in the world was listening to some video game music, some members of our community were engaged in deliberately false reporting. Fable's Wikipedia page was edited in such a way to suggest that Danny Elfman only composed the theme song and not the Temple of Light song played during the show, which they claim was composed by Russell Shaw. These attempts to lessen the contributions of Danny Elfman are shameful and wrong. No one had liner notes because Lionhead, who controls Fable, does not put any out. Danny Elfman composed the entire Fable soundtrack, period. No further questions.
1: For the Mario Swing,
2: you Genesis has blast processing. Super Nintendo. I think having a final game where one player owns the game in the machine and one player doesn't isn't in the interests of fair play.
0: Uh huh. Okay, then, so, uh... And welcome to Sound of Play 84. Sound of Play, we bring some of our and your favorite pieces from the mini video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 84 is one of my close personal friends actually sitting here in the physical room with me, I know that we have established a uh, kind of a long-running canon on Sound of Play that everybody does record in the same studio must be somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. But we are uh, settling into the uh, our Pacific Northwest studio away from home. <laughs> uh, I have uh, I have my my buddy Neil Piper here with me. Hello, everyone. Neil and I were uh, uh, roommates in college for a year. We played a ton of Wii U in the early years <laughs> and uh, did a lot of rock band and stuff back in the day. And so we we have a lot of the... Uh, he, he was my buddy for party games for a while there. So yeah, it'll be fun to, to hear what kind of wacky, nerdy music he uh, wants to bring to the show today. And the first uh, track that we played us into was a bit of an atonal weird one, but um, it kind of a, a, a fun way to start off the show. That is the piece from Shadowgate. Uh, Neil, do you want to take us through that one?
2: Yeah, I'd be glad to. So Shadowgate is a, a game from uh, the late 80s. It's a point-and-click adventure game where you're tasked to go through the, the castle Shadowgate to uh, defeat an evil wizard. And this track is called uh, Mirror Room by uh, Hiroyuki Masuno. And... It plays when you are in a room with multiple mirrors. That's kind of a a wacky fun house track. Um, This one has a little bit of history for Ryan and I because it's the intro to a series of really bad Let's Plays or reviews that that we found on YouTube while we were roommates a few years back. So uh, it's a one that brings me a lot of joy to think about because on, on those reviews, it is inexplicably paired with uh, Battletoads, and the, the rest of the reviews are equally terrible as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. That is um, the George Wood reviews from his old public access TV show that was called uh flights of fantasy. It was um, these reviews have been relabeled gaming in the Clinton years by a uh, navigator, some sort of corporation that does gaming award shows and other kind of amateurish <laughs> videos on youtube um but uh yeah just kind of an inexplicable weird uh it kind of came to prominence after the red super channel um that is a uh, prominent let's players slow beef and diabetes um covered a series of those videos and um, it kind of rose to fame there. But yeah, that is a, that is the intro to those videos. But in its original context in Shadowgate, we've had a few Shadowgate songs in the past. Uh, where does this piece fit into the game?
2: I encountered it a, a few rooms into the game just tooling around this past weekend trying to get a l- little bit more familiar with Shadowgate before coming on the show here today. Uh, it's one where they've re-released it on Steam and it's been out for quite a few years just in its original release, but I haven't had a chance to play it too much. But it it does bring you into the the mirror room. It does talk about, it says like, this mirror room reminds you of the, the Elven Funhouse of uh, some sort of fantasy name and then starts playing this uh the wacky mirror room sound.
0: <laughs> and so uh, you were also telling me that there is a 2014 remake. Is that just a I know there's remixes of the songs on the soundtrack, but is there like an actual kind of remastered game that went along with
2: that? There is, yes. It came out in uh, 2014, and as as you noted, there is a, a redone orchestral soundtrack by Rich Douglas for that. So if you play the uh, 2014 Shadowgate and really love what they did with the soundtrack, you can pick that up as well.
0: Very cool. Well, uh, we've had, as I said, a, a few Shadowgate pieces in the past, uh, one on our Halloween special last year, and I always like that music when it comes around. Uh, let's uh, let's hop to something that is very different. Uh, this is a request from the forum. This comes from Squessel, who says, Even though Drift Stage is still a long way off from release, the soundtrack is already very impressive, especially this track, Applied Dynamics, by Myron. Myron? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I really love it and the way that it mixes the signature s- soft shred style that characterizes the whole soundtrack with some really groovy slap bass and wobbly synth, an 80s music aesthetic, has been co opted by a lot of games these days, with stuff like chiptunes and retrowave appearing in many places. But I think the Drift Stage OST is doing a really good job of bringing another flavor of distilled 80s sounds back into the medium. Uh, yes, as Scrussel introduced there, this is Applied Dynamics, composed by Hugh Myrone from Drift Stage. Uh, this is a PC game, presumably. <laughs> I, I am unsure of the platforms because this game does not technically exist yet. It is still in development. It is probably going to be released sometime this year, but it is one of, and Neil, back me up if you can give me any more information on this, but it it does look like an OutRun type game with a very like um, strong neon aesthetic. But I I seem to remember another game coming out in the near future that is also like heavily OutRun inspired. yeah but i like these old arcade racers and it seems to be really running with the time period of course this isn't what the original games that it's throwing back to looked like but uh, it does evoke the time period if nothing else and so this is um this is some nice 80s music this is apply dynamics from drift stage (laughs) Roger, are coming back with one of my favorites here. Uh, this next piece is one from Donkey Kong '64, uh, composed by Grant Kirkhope, of course. Neil, did you play as much Donkey Kong '64 as I did growing
2: up? Unfortunately, this Kong didn't have the N64 expansion pack, so I didn't get a chance mm. to play it as a kid.
0: Well, now the uh, the game itself came with the expansion pack, and so if you really wanted it, it wasn't like these are uh, pieces. Of, this wasn't like having to pick up a VR rig for uh, for the game. Um, but it wasn't really one that you ever got into.
2: I'd had a chance to play a little bit of it at a, a friend of a friend's house on the see-through green Nintendo 64, but I unfortunately I can't say that I've played more than that, that really.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the green one was the jungle version. Is that right? Um, uh, it came with Donkey Kong 64. I remember being fairly envious of that package as a, a young one. I, I really wanted to buy one of those, but, um, yeah, since then Donkey Kong 64 is, an elusive game in a way. It's very difficult to emulate well, from what I understand. At least when I tried a couple of years back, um, the emulation is kind of rubbish on that one. It's uh, it, it has a whole bunch of like weird graphical errors all the way through the game. And I decided to just kind of like muscle through the graphical errors and just play the game because I've been dying to for years. Um, and then I ended up buying the Wii U version on the virtual console as well started playing it. I didn't really like it though, because it's really kind of heavily letterboxed. Uh, The entire thing is blurry and dark and with, um, black bars around all four of the edges of the screen. And it just was, uh, it felt like a suboptimal experience, which is kind of the takeaway that I get from a lot of the N64 stuff on there, but I'm hoping that, uh, that the games will look better on the switch. Um, I think that'll be, A a potential to kind of um, start over in a way, and I would definitely be back. I'd be up for coming back to Donkey Kong sixty four. Of course, the game has a bit of a reputation. We've had Leon complaining about making it through the entire game and missing only like two bananas that he doesn't know where they are, and um, and of course, you know it's hard to talk about the game without mentioning the reputation it has for being uh leaning too heavily on the collect-thon aspects of the genre at the time but i i think there's still a lot there to like not the least of which is that wonderful soundtrack uh, this track i like because it's um it's a bit creepy it's a bit slow it's a bit menacing it has that really cool kind of mechanized music box feel at the beginning. Uh, you get that sound of uh, of like a key winding up a, like a metal toy or something. And I, I guess it would just be like a key winding up a um, um, music box. But uh, it plays into the industrial theme of this level. This is from Frantic Factory. And it just has really nice kind of melodies and counter melodies all throughout, which is, of course, what Grant Kirkhope is famous for. But um, yeah, I just always really gripped
2: by this track. There's no part of this track that I don't like, really. So is the frantic factory level, and especially spooky one in Donkey Kong 64?
0: I don't know about spooky necessarily, but I mean, every level in that game has a certain like menace to it. It doesn't even feel as spooky as the factory levels from the original Donkey Kong Country. But uh, there's a sense of um of danger certainly of um there's a lot of like robotic enemies that are very difficult to defeat that you just kind of want to stay out of the line of sight of um there's a little bit more kind of stealth than in other levels and it kind of feels like you're entering a factory without its osha safety regulations but this particular track is a lot of fun it has a huge diversity of instruments it's got wind instruments it has strings it has a really cool like plucked strings as well there's a a strong diversity of very legato and very pizzicato type sounds and it kind of keeps it unpredictable without feeling disjointed and random always throwing something new at you
2: yeah it does kind of feel like there is a a creepy music box playing and then the orchestra is picking up on the cues from that and and playing alongside this mechanized music box to create the this excellent song.
0: This is Frantic Factory by Grant Kirkhope. Right now Neil you're bringing us a track from one of your favorite games growing up. Uh, I've never played this game. This is from Homeworld, but um so I'm going to leave this one to you.
2: Yeah, Homeworld is one of my favorite games uh in a long time. I got it when I was 10 years old for PC and uh If you're not familiar with it, it's a a 3D space real-time strategy game. So not only are the the models 3D, but also you can move in both the X and Y axis for a a deeper level of of strategic planning. Um, The Homeworld single-player campaign is a moving one for me personally. You uh, go from your your planet with with all of your people to trying to reclaim your your homeworld on the other side of the galaxy, facing various enemies, alien civilizations, and alien fleets along the way and uh, part of what makes the the single player part of what makes the gameplay so impressive in that single player campaign I I found was the music it's uh, your normal space game might have sort of a maybe Star Wars inspired orchestral soundtrack but Homeworld matches the unique gameplay with a atmospheric soundtrack that mixes some of the electronic and electronic background music you would think of when you think of futuristic technology with some maybe traditionally Eastern instruments to create a really unique sound. So, uh, the track I've picked is, uh, Imperial Battle Music. It's one that plays for the first time when you're, uh, confronting a space fleet that may have destroyed the, the planet that you are leaving from. And so, you know, as you listen to this one, maybe imagine trying to coordinate a, a strategic battle, uh, with, on your mission to help save your your people and return to your home world after thousands of years.
0: So is this the type of game that's fairly uh, linear telling a story or is this the type of game that's a little bit more kind of open and free for exploration like elite and uh, some of the older space faring games of the time?
2: I think home world is a, a bit more linear. It does, tell its story, it does put you on a a specific path to do so. Uh, It did originally come out in 1999, so they may not have had the same level of technology or the same, maybe, gameplay mechanics that we do now that you would think of for a a space adventure. Uh, But for the time, it was, uh, it was, and I believe it remains, a great entry in the the sci-fi real-time strategy genre. And uh, Gearbox, the developer, remastered and released it in 2014. So, if you do have a, a newer system and want to pick this one up, it is available on, on Steam or, or digital download.
0: Is that a remaster, just kind of a touched-up version of the old game, or did they do a lot of uh, new assets and new music and everything?
2: Good question. I've, there's a, a really great article I read on uh, Kotaku about how they went through and remastered all of the tracks. They had to go find the the tapes and the, the data that it was stored on in, in the composer's basement, and they reran that through the the system to, to get it to a, a much higher quality because... Uh, the original game was released on PC CD, so all of the textures were like 64 kilobytes and the music was heavily compressed. So uh, now it's uncompressed and you can play it in up to 4K with textures that are bigger than the original game was.
0: <laughs> That's pretty cool. So is this version of the song from the remaster or is this from uh, the original uh, run of the game?
2: The, the version I picked is from the remastered version. That They are exactly the same except this one is substantially higher quality. So in, in this one, think of planning and, and strategizing with a, a space fleet of, of ships from large capital ships down to one-man fighters that are uh, flying throughout battle, and you're trying to make sure they are working as efficiently, trying to minimize your, your losses and, and maximize your tactical games as you do in a, a real-time strategy game. But um, you're working with three dimensions, so maybe you're planning a, a, a small strike group to come down from the top while your other ships move around to the side in a, a strategic wall to take out a, a fleet that's trying to keep you from returning to the homeworld with what's left of your people.
0: Very cool. So this is Imperial Battle Music by Paul Reske from Homeworld. So Neil, uh, just to give the audience members a little bit of uh, background on you and uh, and your kind of play style, preferred types of games. Uh, we've heard at least a couple of games that you've introduced us to an RTS and a an old school point and click adventure. Uh, do you tend to uh, to like these more kind of slow paced, methodical games, or or do you appreciate the kind of lightning fast bayonettas and devil may cries to the world as I d- well i do
2: enjoy a good real-time strategy game but if you put me in front of one that is a, a bit faster i always enjoy that as well um i think it, it does tend to be more about what type of story the game is trying to tell and what the what hooks it has to accomplish that goal rather than necessarily a, a specific type or, or speed so i'll enjoy ones that are faster and and like a super smash brothers where you have to time your inputs right and figure out what's going on very quickly with up to eight people on the the screen there but i'll also enjoy one where it's more of a uh, point and click adventure or like a, a visual novel game as well they have been playing through uh 2016's hitman and uh that one's been a lot of fun to try to figure out what What's going on, where the targets are, and how the best ways to to get in and get out without being noticed? you
0: look like everybody has some kind of a different approach to playing hitman what do you what do you typically like to do you stay in the shadows or do you uh try to blend in with the crowds or do you just cause chaos? What is your hitman style well, for me
2: personally, i think i I like to see how ridiculous I can get the setup and still get out alive so I tend to do poorly on the challenges that are don't get noticed, don't get seen, and do a little bit better on the ones where I've crawled up a pipe to get to where the target is and thrown a hammer at their head and then ran for my life. (laughs)
0: Sounds like fun. Uh, Let's uh, hop over to another request from the forum here. This comes from Blue Weasel Breath, who says, The soundtrack was essentially excerpts from Tchaikovsky's ballet Swan Lake. Swans are an important motif and story element in the game arranged in MIDI by the Fat Man, a.k.a. George Sanger, who I also know from his work on the soundtrack to The Seventh Guest. The Loom main theme is actually an allegro prelude to the pas de trois, (laughs) Yes. sorry, in Act One of the ballet. I didn't know that when I heard it as a child for the first time during Loom's intro screen. I just knew I loved the sweeping beauty of it and how it meshed perfectly with the aesthetics and simple sophistication of the game. As a result of my affection for the Loom soundtrack, I obtained the Swan Lake album, and have listened to it many times. I would recommend any fan of Loom give it a listen, as the game draws so heavily from it that you'll find yourself nostalgic for the game while listening to the ballet. The FM Towns version of the game is often considered the definitive one, despite having no voiceovers because it retains the full dialogue of the EGA original with the art redone in glorious VGA, and has music throughout the gameplay, not just in cutscenes. However, I strongly favor the PC CD version of the game, maybe because it's the first version I heard, but also because it's slower than the FM Towns version, and the more majestic and magical. The FM Towns version also has an extra pickup note At the end of the fourth measure, leading back to the top of the melody, that bothers me because it doesn't let the phrase come to a rest and undermines the piece's serene beauty somehow. But now I'm just nitpicking. I love the piece so much that it was the bridal music at our wedding. My wife just said that she didn't want the same two wedding marches that everybody uses, so I had a pianist friend learn and play this. It made for an amazing moment. This is Main Theme by George Sanger from Loom. This next track is a fun one. Feels like I can't get through an entire episode without bringing in a little bit of jazz these days. Um, but this one is uh, the theme from D4. Uh, we recently, somewhat recently, talked about D4 in Kanan Rinse issue 240. So you can go back and, and listen to our thoughts on that one. But as a quick refresher, D4 is a game made by uh, swery 65 Is that the right number? I think it's a different number. Oh boy. I don't remember what number he is. Anyways, he's Swery, um, and his uh, Access Games studio, which unfortunately no longer exists. Sweary, of course, most famous for Deadly Premonition before this game, and it's weird, uh, Twin Peaks like, uh, strange sense of humor, and um, yeah, it's just it's a it's a really weird game. But uh, and and so of course this game is a really appropriate follow up. It is somehow even weirder than Deadly Premonition and uh holds together not even quite as well as that very disjointed first game but it it makes for a really fun really unpredictable ride and the entire game is kind of structured like a tv show uh, not only because it's episodic uh, not receiving as many episodes as it intended to have at the beginning (laughs) leaving it on a bit of an unsatisfying cliffhanger but also because it's um has weird framing devices like a uh, like a theme song that not a, not a theme song like there aren't words to it necessarily but like a yeah like an opening theme bit where it's just kind of an instrumental piece and then it it, it introduces the characters and uh, the setting and um, yeah it's just it's a strange one but this is the, the the theme song of the game essentially and it reminds me so much of like uh, just. Typical like 90s shows, it has that very kind of like 90s saxophone. Uh, it's got a really kind of funky kind of guitar, acoustic guitar line underlying it, which sounds really nice. And the entire recording is just very crisp, it's very, uh, very clean, very upbeat and fun. And it's uh, fairly diverse all throughout the track. There's all sorts of of solos and um and melodies that pop up here and there we played this one to i believe to kick off the d4 issue of Canon and Rince, and i wanted to feature it here just because i think people should hear the entire track it's really really good music this is composed by tomomi teratani now neil how aware are you of this particular game because i believe you have either played or watched through the uh let's play of of uh, deadly Premonition to some extent anyways.
2: Yeah, I've, I've played a little bit of Deadly Premonition and I've watched a, a bit of the Let's Play for that one as well. It's definitely as, as weird as you've described and, and uh, talked it up to be. I haven't had a lot of opportunity to play through uh, D4 Dark Dreams Don't Die, but from what I've heard on this song, it's definitely one I've added to my, my PC list to get through. Yeah, it's a
0: cool piece of music from a very strange game. Uh, as we mentioned on the podcast, it doesn't seem to be... <laughs> a part of the uh, the famous D series of games. Although uh, as I speculated on the podcast, I think it's kind of a spiritual successor that they couldn't officially label as being a part of the series due to like not owning the rights to it or something like it's always felt really kind of suspicious and weird, but there's just so much around this game that is mysterious and unanswered. And um, I don't know, I guess it, somewhat adds to the air of mystery of the game itself since it is kind of a crime drama but yeah it's a it's a real strange one it does it does make for some really fun music and i hope you will enjoy dancing along with the theme of d4
2: I haven't had a chance to play much of D4, but this track, the the upbeatness and the, the musical stylings and instrumentation of it sounded a lot like one that I've heard traversing the giant world of Xenoblade Chronicles X, the giant mech and dinosaur and JRPG game that has a, a catchy and very odd soundtrack as well. So
0: is a lot of that one kind of jazz inspired or uh, I, I've heard some orchestral pieces from that. And then a piece that I would almost kind of label as being kind of traditional j-pop but uh, how diverse is that soundtrack because that's not one that i fully have uh, have dove into just yet
2: Uh, the soundtrack seems to be as diverse as the the random story arcs that they go through in the game so you do have your orchestral tracks for the the majestic times where you've crossed a peak and can see the whole world ahead of you you've got your weird j-pop ones for when you're in the the town or randomly adventuring and then uh, some of the other uh, in between jazzy ones like similar to the the one we just heard from d4 where it it just is is fun and and it's always a, a joy when those ones pop on in the middle of a a giant mech battle.
0: Very cool. That is a uh very highly regarded JRPG on the Wii U. Uh the Wii U has a actually a handful of exclusive JRPGs that I, I I don't see myself playing as much as I want to because of just, you know, time commitment and the fact that the Wii U's kind of on its way out, unfortunately. But yeah, there's a lot to love there for gamers who are into certain niches. Let's listen to some music from uh, something that is not a JRPG. Uh, This is a request from the forum coming from Magician Arcana, who says, Is it just me, or do 16-bit era sports games have some of the catchiest soundtracks? That is certainly true of NBA Jam, which he brings us the Team Select music from, composed by John Hay. Yeah, this is an interesting piece of music. Not probably what I would have associated with, uh, with a basketball game. I kind of think of of sports as being kind of, you know, rah-rah, get pumped up and everything. But this piece is, uh, again, a little jazzy, um, kind of of smooth jazzy. It's got a really nice keyboard synthesizer part that takes a fairly accomplished solo. The music of team select screens is supposed to be kind of non-obtrusive, but it still feels like, it doesn't quite feel like basketball, which is interesting. It kind of reminds me almost of the uh, let me take you for a ride from Marvel versus Capcom 2 <laughs> or something like that, where it just um, but I'm sure in the context of the game and it almost makes me want to hear the uh, the music that they would play like during gameplay uh, a little bit more.
2: Part of what makes something like an NBA jam so fun even to this day as well is that it includes the team uh, Seattle Supersonics which unfortunately has not existed in our area since uh, 2008. So it's always a, a fun blast from the past to see the sports team that we had and no longer have. <laughs> That's
0: true. Yeah, it is uh, kind of fun to go back in time with these older video games and get a little slice of the world back then. Uh, we, When we get together, we like to play like NES versions of Family Feud <laughs> and Jeopardy and stuff. And some of those questions, I'm sure would have been a lot easier 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, like I... I do not know who uh, was running against George H.W. Bush, for example, but I'd imagine when the game was released, that would have been one of the easier questions. So um, yeah, it's a a real mixed bag. But anyways, we're not here to talk about Family Feud or Jeopardy. We're here to listen to some excellent jazzy music from NBA Jam. So um, this is uh, Magician Arcana's request. Go ahead and take us into that. here we are on another point and click adventure. Uh, Now, Neil, have you ever played Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP? This was a popular one back a few years back.
1: Yeah, I
2: I know a lot of people were really excited and and talking about it when it came out. Uh, All of my friends who had iPhones picked it up right away and I had a older iPhone that I don't believe could really play it as well. So it's one I'm hoping to to see. I, I know I've Heard a lot from the soundtrack living with a couple different folks, and it's always been a, a fun one to hear come on the, the iPod.
0: Yeah, of course, this game made a huge splash on the iOS marketplace when it was first released. Um, this was developed by the Super Brothers and Capybara Games, and it kind of set, um, uh, set the expectations for their games in the future. Uh, they, they came to develop a very, uh, what has become a very familiar art style, uh, really beautiful game. Uh, and this is one that it's a split release of systems, still kind of divides me every time that I try to jump back into it. I've, I've played the first uh, like four or five hours quite a few times, and then the game starts to slow down a little bit and gets into some really weird, like following the phases of the moon type stuff, which um, I, I often kind of drift away from it at that point. Um, I would love to finish it someday, but it seems like there's a little bit to it. But on that note, I really appreciate the immediacy of playing it on the iPhone, and I think it really works well with that touchscreen interface. The battles feel more immediate. The uh, faces of the moon stuff feels more appropriate since you don't have to sit down for hours on end. You're not committing to a long play session when you boot it up on the iPhone, it can be something that you just like uh, plunk away a little bit on every night before bed. Um, but oh, there's something about the graphics look really magnificent on giant PC screens, and and so you know I always kind of go back and forth as to what console I want to play it on, the PC or the iPhone, because uh, it kind of has benefits from both. But the uh, soundtrack by Jim Guthrie is. Uh, pretty exceptional. It's one of those that had become kind of a uh, staple within uh, video game music connoisseurs' libraries. Uh, this particular track is called Dark Flute, and it's kind of a, a microcosm of the entire soundtrack, which has uh, so much really intelligent composition. This one starts off very kind of small with a wind instrument, just kind of puffing away at a nice little tune there that um it sounds kind of like an opening riff but actually is kind of setting the baseline for the piece just a few seconds in it just explodes into the most like lush and beautiful sounds you've ever heard before and they're all kind of a weird uh combination of kind of naturalistic and super like glitchy distorted digitized kind of everything about the way that it sounds is 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 pretty magical, and I really love this soundtrack. This and at least a couple more tracks are kind of
2: near the top of my and kind of all time favorite gaming music pieces. Yeah, I'm always been impressed with my interactions with the Sword and Sorcery EP because of of those initial memories with it coming out. And and most of the other uh, games that we had on on iPhone were about uh, upset avians or uh, zombies versus plants. And so to have one where it did have a coherent uh, story and a little bit of a different gameplay style with such a fantastic soundtrack was especially uh, fantastic at the time
0: yeah of course this this particular track just kind of keeps getting bigger and bigger as it goes i hope that you all enjoy it this is dark flute by jim guthrie from the super brothers sword and sorcery ep We have just one track left to listen to, but remember you can venture over to the forum at KananRince.com forum or go over to our Twitter at KananRince and, and uh, you can request tracks from uh, either of those locations and we will play them at some point in the future on the show. Uh, we don't go in any particular order and so it might be very soon. It might be years in the future. Who knows? But <laughs> we always do I uh, very much appreciate um, the requests because we have a, a community with excellent musical taste. Please do subscribe to Sound of Play on iTunes. And uh, if you could leave us a rating and review, we'd very much appreciate that. It shows Apple that people are engaging with our podcast and uh, helps helps us go uh, right up the charts there and uh, helps get in more people's ears, um, helps share some of this beautiful video game music. And I know that's what we all want. <laughs> I'd just like to uh, thank my buddy Neil Piper here. Neil, do you have any... Uh, outlets or, um, or or fun things that you want to draw people's attention to while you have a bit of a captive audience?
2: No. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you all can uh, find me on Twitter if you want a intermittent stream of dog pictures and uh, funny jokes and less funny commentary on current events. Uh, but something that, that has been important to me is I do work with a, a global charity that helps work with uh, people all around the world in need of uh, clean water, food help, and things like that. So if you're interested in what I do and, and uh, helping in that way, the, the group I work for is World Vision. And so if you feel like helping with that, uh, it helps the the kids and families who don't get a chance to play video games. And one day maybe they will, and, and hopefully what what I do can help uh, help them with other more important things, but get them to a place where that could be a thing as well.
0: Yes, of course. And then what is your Twitter handle? As you had teased earlier, was that npiper122? What is the numeral on the Uh, end of that one?
2: It is npiper12. There
0: we go. Should have gone with my gut the first time. (laughs) All right, so you're going to be playing us out with a couple of uh, very catchy and strange tracks as well. Um, These are from a game that... uh, that you play a whole lot of. I know that.
2: Yeah, we've got uh, a couple tracks here from uh, Splatoon for Wii U. I'm really excited for Splatoon 2 to come out in a couple months here, and uh, this one I figured would be a, a, a fun and catchy way to, to end the, the show. It's called uh, Ink Me Up, and it's the music it plays when they had a, a Splatoon splat fest.
0: I know that. Yeah. Ink me up inside. Is that the... I think I'm right on that one.
2: I, I think so. Splatoon is about... Uh, Teenager squid kid thing. So the the emo track is is definitely there. Yeah, seems about right. I've seen enough screenshots to know what I'm talking about. No. So so in Splatoon, if if you uh, hadn't had a chance to play it between launch and uh, 2016 or so, every month or so they would have a worldwide event for different uh, different teams. So it would be like Pokemon Red versus Pokemon Blue, or pizza versus hamburgers, or dogs versus cats. And so you'd sign up for which side you wanted to fight for. And then the, the usually bright and sunny Splatoon world would go to nighttime, go to a big dance party, and you would uh, go into teams for 24 hours to try to, to fight so that uh, Pokemon Blue would be the number one in the world. And so at that point, all of the stages turned to night stages, and the, the music changed as well. So this one is the track that it would play during your Splatoon battles, your uh, turf wars during the Splatfest, and now that... Those are over. You don't get to hear it as much in the game. So I thought I'd bring it to you here and hope that it would uh, help you feel like a squid again and, and uh, build up that excitement for uh, Splatoon 2, a game I'm really looking forward to.
0: Now, if instead of that, I wanted to feel like a kid again, is there any other track that you would recommend um, listening to to kind of uh, get back in that kid spirit?
2: So here you have a Ink Me Up and uh, Now or Never by Toru Minagishi and uh, Shiho Fuji.
0: Cool. We have a couple of fun Splatoon tracks playing us out. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We will see you next week. (laughs)